0: Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. In Job chapter 19, verse 23 through 27, it says, Oh, that my words... Job, possibly maybe the oldest writer in the whole Bible, some people think that, he said, oh, that that they could be inscribed on a monument, if my words could be recorded and inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever on a rock. But as for me, Job said this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body is decayed, yet my body, in my body, I will see the Lord. This is before Christ. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at that thought. And then Job 16, verse 18 through 22, another another scripture that tells about the forecoming of Christ. He says, O earth, do not conceal my blood. Let it cry out on my behalf. Even now. He said, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate, everybody say Jesus. Jesus, my advocate is there on high. My friends, they scorn me to death and, and they, I pour out my tears to God. He said, I need someone to mediate for me. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. I need someone to mediate for me between God and me as a person mediates from, for their brother or their friend. Today we're going to talk about Eve, if they'll put the picture up that uh, uh, that we have with Eve and that we have with Mary. I want you just to study that for for quite a while. But today we're going to talk about how our Redeemer lives and how that... That through Eve sin came upon all flesh and and the curse of sin came upon everybody because the scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that we're also going to see that Jesus came as a substitute and he came here to crush Satan. So the background of this scripture, the background of this story, the passage arises from an interview in the Garden of Eden between God and Adam and Eve and the family uh, and, of course, the serpent, we know that he was there. When confronted with this transgression, Adam blamed Eve. How many know that we, we're always blaming somebody? Adam blamed Eve, and ultimately, Adam put the responsibility on God, saying, hey, it's the woman that you gave me. That's what caused this to happen. And then Eve tried to rationalize it, and she said, oh, no, it was the serpent. So everybody's passing the buck. But we see that this serpent... We see the serpent goes past. I want you to look past a snake, and I want you to look past trying to wrap your mind around that. And wrap your mind around this, that Satan filled that snake in some way. We may not understand how or or what, but that serpent was just simply a vehicle of Satan. A vehicle of Satan to where Eve could be beguiled and she could be tricked and she could be talked out of what God had told her. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, it says that I fear somehow that your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So even the New Testament bears witness of this account in the garden. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, it says this, I'm not surprised that you've been tricked or that you've been uh, taken advantage of, Paul said. It says, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we wrestle with those same kinds of powers and those same kind of wickedness in our world today. And John even said, even more scripture that verifies how, how Satan was called the serpent all throughout scripture And in, uh, in the revelations that John wrote in Revelations 20 verse 2. It says that he sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and he bound him in chains for a thousand years. And then also John said in Revelations twelve nine, it says the great dragon, the ancient serpent, everybody say serpent, who we know is Satan, or called the devil, the scripture says called the devil or Satan, the one who is deceiving, the one who is deceiving, the one who still is deceiving, the one who still is, who still is coming as an angel of light, the one who still is tricking people. The one who still is distracting people to keep their eyes away from the truth, and we know that truth, to be Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there's a battle going on for your soul. where The devil plays for keeps. If we were to live our life to be 80, that is nothing compared to eternity. Because the Bible says that our lives are but a vapor compared to eternity. It appears for a short time and then boom, it's gone. If the enemy can keep us uh, distracted and keep us our, our focus off or keep us upset about something or beguile us in any way, then he keeps us in something that we all face someday and that's called eternity. Brothers and sisters, there's a battle going on that we can't see with our physical eyes, and it's the battle of the ages, and it's a battle for you whom Jesus has already won. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. It says, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than the animals, domestic and wild. He said, you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust as long as you live. I want you to really look at this so we don't go back to it a hundred times today. Really focus on this scripture. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. I will cause hostility. Hostility. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring, look at that, between your offspring, the woman's offspring, her seed, and the offspring of the serpent. Or the enemy. He, the woman's seed, will strike your head, and you, the serpent, will strike the heel. And we saw that in that video. With regards to the serpent, God switches from condemning the serpent to the one who inhabited or who inhibited the, 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 the Satan. And he cursed Satan and made it where God and Satan, there's a battleground and they're forever at war trying to win mankind and that you feel that you feel that there's a war he causes that hostility between you and the woman between her offspring and your offspring the woman and her offspring the bible says the woman and her offspring will forever be harassed by the enemy do any of you ever feel harassed do any of you ever feel uh, that that there's hostility towards you and, and that there's attack against you it's also at this point in the garden that sin enters into the world. And the Bible says, you can write down Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and read that on your own. It very clearly says at that point that sin entered into the world and it passed upon the whole human race. And the ravages of sin and its consequences are still affecting us today, brothers and sisters. The enmity, the hostility, the anger, the hatred... The hatred of men towards men and and men and demons between the the warfare that still happens and continues to happen still happens here. Even angels. The Bible even talks about uh, um, different people that are called serpents and snakes. Uh, uh, It even says even angels are called serpents. Jesus even called, listen, Jesus even called Pharisees, religious people. That we're, we're, we're making things tough on people to understand truth. He said, you're a, you're a brood of vipers. Snakes, I call you. So inhabited by uh, uh, the evil one. The, who, who they, the, 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 these snakes hated and persecuted the church. And they've always been a hostility. From that day forward, there's been a hostility of evil against good. And a, and a fight for you. Brothers and sisters, Satan is a real enemy. There is a fact that Satan is a real enemy. He's a formidable opponent. He lied to Eve and he murdered the first human family and he got this whole thing messed up. He's always tempting. He's always tempting. He's always accusing. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. How many of you feel this accusation going on all the time in your subconsciousness? There's always an accusation. There's always a condemning thought. There's always a negativeness. There's always what you're not. There, that, that, that forever lives, and this is when it, when, it, when it happened. He's ever tempting. He tempted Jesus even. He tempts, you, he tempts you with the pride of life to where you get so hooked in this worldwide web that you get controlled by the, the lust of the flesh and the things that you desire and the passions that you have. And then we see things with our eyes, the lust of our eyes, and we begin to lust and we begin to have strong desires for everything but God, to where God gets to a point to where he says that this world becomes lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, who, who delight more in pride and accomplishments and what we can have than delight in their self in the Lord. There's a temptation. There's a battle. There's a war of the ages, and it's warring for your soul that it could pull you down to the gates of hell and cause you to spend eternity without a loving God that has made a place of eternity that's good for you that lasts forever. The enemy's a real person. It's a real it's a real fight. The Bible says stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I'll tell you, he prays upon the weak. Jesus even says, where you see the, where you see the carcass is, is there where the buzzards were gathered. The devil can sense the stench of death. If he smells spiritual death in you, if he smells that you are weakening or decaying or your, your, your relationship and walk with God is pining a little bit, he will be upon you, he will, he will circle, he will wait for you to where you can't move and then he will come and pick at you. He, you, you if he smells death in you, that's why we got to be alive in God. We need to be full of the Spirit. Because he walketh about. Stay alert. Stay alert. Don't, don't be caught. Don't be caught unawares at these end times. Stay alert. Watch out. And it, 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 watch out for this. The Bible says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Because there's hostility. There's hostility between the woman's seed. And, and his seed. There's hostility and it says, woe to the people. He has great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. How many believe that it's a short time until Jesus is coming? Yeah. Amen. How many believe that? Are you living like it? Are you living like it? He said, I'll cause this hostility. The illusion to the serpent seed obviously predicts that many of human family would also choose to align with Satan. It even says that it says to him and his seed. So that alludes to and gives us the illusion, the and it tells us that many people are going to align with Satan rather than align with the Son of God. And as Moses struck, I felt the Lord say, do this so strong, Brian. He said, you preach, Brian, like I tell you to preach. I felt the Lord say, strike a, strike a line in the, in the sand and, and, and say to people, challenge people just like Moses did, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve this world and, and the ravages of this world, or are we going to serve the Lord? Moses said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord God Almighty. This stands in bold relief to the modern notion that men are basically good and therefore perfect liberty to pursue their course of life and their own interests and heaven's approving of that. Genesis 3:15 contra- contradicts universalism. It contradicts universalism. In Romans chapter 3 verse 10 Paul said there is none righteous No, not one. So don't give me this liberal talk saying that there's good in everybody. Because the Word said it and then Paul said there's none good. No, not one. And then a few verses later, he reiterated it. And he said, I told you there's none good. No, not one. Because of this fall. This fall. I want to give you a fancy word called proto-evangelium. 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 Proto-evangelium is a term that essentially signifies the idea of the first gospel proclamation. What does it mean when you say, I'm sharing the gospel? What's it mean when you say, I'm sharing the gospel? Gospel means what? Good news. I'm sharing the gospel. What does that mean? I'm sharing the good news. So if you're spreading the gospel, what are you doing? I'm spreading the what? What's the good news? We're going to get into this good news. The the proto-evangelism is a term essentially signifies the idea of the first gospel proclamation. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel message in the Bible. It said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This verse is truly fascinating because it provides the first biblical glimpse of God's plan of redemption, focusing ultimately upon the final thrust of Satan into eternal lake and fire and hell and God's new kingdom coming down. We saw that on the video. The death of Jesus was planned even before the foundation of the world. Don't you think, don't even for a second think that God was like, all upset when this happened, and he was confused and didn't know what to do. The Bible says in First Peter chapter one verse nineteen, it says this: "It was the precious blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus was planned before the foundations of the world. I'm telling you, and, and it was it's shown here in Genesis three fifteen in a minutes, miniature gospel presentation. The precious blood of Jesus." The blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as a ransom long before the what? Long before the what? The world began. Was God confused when this happened? Somebody say no. No, no. But now in these last days, he's revealed it. Incidentally, this symbolic prophecy of death is in conflict with certain dispensational allegations. Namely, the Lord's death was not a part of heaven's original plan. Listen to this. S.D. Gordon said this in his book, Quiet Talks, about Jesus. He wrote this. And this is the way our world thinks. It can be said at once that his dying, meaning Jesus, was not God's own plan. It was conceived somewhere else and yielded to by God. Everybody say, that's absurd. How many knows that God had a plan for the ages? Give the Lord a hand clap. He had a plan for the ages. He said that your Redeemer would be of the seed of the woman. Everybody look at Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 38. When you look at that, how many sees the, this person begot this one? This one begot this one, this one begot this one, this one begot this one, this one begot this one. And when you're doing your through the Bible in the year, you're like, you just breeze through that one because you don't know what in the world all those names are in Luke. How many knows what that is? Okay, we've been um, doing some genealogy study, and Mick has really been helping Carmen find her ancestry. I think ancestry is pretty cool. Anybody out there? We found out that Carmen's ancestry, um, That, that w- there's even a document where one of her, uh, her it would be her fifth great-grandfather was at the battle in Vicksburg and was there when that, when that was surrendered to the Union Army, and we have the note where he signed surrender. And then another great one back, uh, one of her uh, guys fought in the French-Indian War as a scout, and then he... Um, he also was in the Revolutionary War and fought with the North Carolina militant. I think that's so cool. Just going back five generations. Anybody? How many think ancestry is cool? Uh, well, anyway, look what the Bible did. Look what the Bible did. In Luke, it takes the ancestry of God's seed and it goes all the way back to Adam. Take a look at that. All the way back, it started, then the family tree goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, proving what Jesus said and what God said in his word. So we see a preview of Christ. In Genesis 3:15, this pre- preview of the Incarnate Christ, incarnate Christ. this is an expression of the seed of the woman. This says that Jesus was a human. How many know he came as a human? The reason that's important, read Hebrews chapter 2, write that down, Hebrews chapter 2, and also read Hebrews chapter 4. Because he's a human, he's able to understand you, and you're going to really like that, because you're like, man, ain't nobody can understand me. Jesus understands you. Take a look at that. And then it says that a, everybody say virgin, virgin. A virgin would conceive and bear this son. Isaiah seven fourteen again, born a son. A son is given. Okay, and Isaiah nine six it says that the apostle John said this. As as Justin uh, said earlier, the apostle John uh, on his course of notes he said the Word became flesh and dwelt upon, among us with a human family. So why did, why did, why did Jesus have to come? as a human well what's the bible say about that i want you to look at this scripture in hebrews 2 14 why did jesus have to come as a human because god's children because god's children are human beings and because we're made of flesh and blood the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die could god die if he wasn't a human being So he had to come as a human being to die. And only by dying could he break this curse we're talking about today. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil. And then Galatians 4, 4 through 6, you can read that one on your own. Well, I'll just read it. It says, but when the the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The reason he was born under the law is because he had to redeem us that we're under the law. Because how many say we all break the law? So he had to do that too. And, and, and because he did that for us, he adopted us into sonship. And because, he's, because we are his sons, God now puts his spirit into our heart where everybody says I'm a part of a family. Amen? We say Abba Father. But we know... We know from this video it says that the enemy would strike a blow that would bruise the heel of the the Redeemer. The seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman. And we know that on the cross that Satan bruised the heel of Christ, causing his death. Bruising is something that you can find all through the Bible. It was so fun studying this and looking all these things up. Man, you ought to just look up bruise and see all the chain references. It was hard to condense this sermon down. The allusion to the woman's seed bruise unquestionably looks to the suffering Christ, the suffering Christ for the sins of humanity. I, I like this. Jesus even said in Luke twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus said that my time has come for all the prophecies that's been spoken about me. Jesus said, my time has come for all the prophecies that's been spoken about me. It's time they're fulfilled. I was, he was counted among rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets, it's getting ready to come true. And then in Isaiah chapter 53, there's a portrait of this abuse that Jesus is going to have. Twice the prophet, just in the book of Isaiah, twice the prophet speaks of the promised Messiah being bruised. And that bruised is a Hebrew word, daka, and it means wounded for the offering of sin. Now look at Isaiah 53, 5. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the justice of God had to be satisfied. The the judgment, the chastening, the, the, the anger against sin... Had to be satisfied because God is merciful, but he's also just. And it says that the chastisement or the justice of God, the chastisement for our peace was upon this Jesus Christ. He was bruised. He was beaten. And by his stripes is how we're healed. Isaiah 53.10 says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And the King James Version uses the word bruise, but I like crush, so I stuck crush in there too. But King James says, but it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him or to crush Satan and to cause him grief. Yet when his life made an excuse me, but it was the Lord's plan to bruise him, meaning Christ, and cause him grief, Christ's grief, yet his life was made an offering for my sin. For he will have many descendants. That's us. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan. How many say he had a plan? The Lord's good plan will prosper in this Messiah's hands. Woo! Hallelujah! But Jesus would throw the final blow. Yes, he did get his heel bit. And yes, he did take the plunge. And let me paraphrase for you just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I love saying this. That devil is a dumb devil. Everybody say dumb devil. Dumb Dumb devil. Dumb devil. The Bible says for if those people, if the devil, if the if those people, if the adversary, if the devil, if they would have known that Jesus Christ was going to raise from the dead, they wouldn't even have ever put him to death. But they were too dumb to know. Here's what it is. Is God made it where they wouldn't know it somehow. You just got to know that that's just the way it was. You know what? You know for you to be saved, God has to open up your mind to his wisdom. Listen to me very closely. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it's either 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, don't try to find it. But it, 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 it says that it, this is quote, but God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. When it says God has made unto you wisdom, because when you see a video like you just saw, and when you hear preaching like this, Your carnal mind will say, what the hogwash, stupidness. Because the Bible says that a carnal man cannot understand the things of the Lord. Now listen, listen. Do you know for people to be saved that God has to open up their mind to his infinite wisdom? And I've already prayed today that the, that the cloud that's over people's minds and that's over people's hearts where they cannot receive, that it be broken down today so that everyone can, can, can receive Christ today. Wisdom, the wisdom of God is being made known through that video and through this preaching. This is the way it, this is, the way it is. Jesus would strike that final blow. The seed of the serpent, evil men and demonic forces struck at the heel of our savior when judas and the pharisees and the rabble and the romans conspired to condemn jesus and they were saying crucify him crucify him but his wound was not the final act he rose on the third day i love preaching about what happened the three days jesus was in the tomb oh i wanted to preach that so bad today uh, uh, on do you know what happened the three days that Jesus was in the tomb Woo, we'll be shouting and running around this place trust me on that but I'm holding myself back today on that he rose the third day he paid the price for sin of all who would ever believe in him the ultimate victory was his he crushed the head of, the, of Satan removing forever the rule over man the power of Christ destroyed Satan and the principalities and the powers. It confounded all of his schemes and ruined all of his works. The power of the cross would crush Satan's whole empire. It would strip him of his authority, particularly his power over death. All of his tyranny over the bodies and the souls of men will be stripped for him. At this, at all this was done by the incarnate Christ. Incarnate Christ when he suffered and died for the souls of men. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he crushed the devil's head, defeating him forever. Will somebody praise the Lord today? <laughs> Hallelujah. So when, he, the, when we hear this, the proto-evangelium, it shows us that God always had a plan of salvation in mind. And he informed us of this plan just as soon as sin entered the world. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, so, what has Christ's victory over Satan done for me? Well, Number one, it's made you alive to God. We're going to look at some scripture today. It made you alive to God. Put up Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Once, once you were dead. Because of disobedience and many sins. I like how KJV says, it says, You hath he quickened who were dead. Quicken means made alive. How do you remember when you were dead and you were numb to this life and there wasn't any joy or peace or contentment? We were dead in our sin. Look at this, verse 2. You used to, everybody says, You used to. You used to. I felt the Holy Spirit say, Put that strong. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Look at this. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in all those hearts who refuse to obey God. Do you all believe that? All of us, everybody say, "Used used to live that way. Following the passionate desires, and we just did whatever the inclinations of our sinful flesh wanted to do. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Amen, do whatever you want. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved me so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Hallelujah. So. What this means is Christ made you alive to God. The second thing is he canceled the charges against you because we all break the law. How many says that we all break the law? The Bible says he canceled the record, the charges against us, and took it away, and he nailed them to a wooden cross in Colossians 2.14. And Colossians 2.15 says this, That he disarmed the enemy's power over our lives. In this way, the scripture says, Colossians 2.15, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. Everybody say disarmed. Disarmed. That means they can't take arms against you. How many feel like that there are arms being taken against you? The cross of Calvary disarmed the powers of the enemy that come against you. He, he, he shamed them publicly with victory over them at the cross. I, I wanted everybody to see 1 John 3.8 because I wanted to be clear where sin comes from and who possesses and who owns us before Christ because of the fall. The Bible says that he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. This is 1 John 3.8 KJV. But the purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Brothers and sisters, you are not the devils anymore. His power doesn't have power over you anymore. His sickness and disease doesn't have control over you anymore. His dominion, he has no dominion. His authority in your life He has no authority. You are not a devil's minion. You are not somebody. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 says to to instruct people that oppose themselves. Instruct Christians that are opposing themselves. Some Christians are cutting themselves just like somebody cuts themselves and self-mutilates themselves. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, instruct those in the spirit of meekness. Instruct those people that are opposing themselves. That allows the devil to come in and out of their life at his will. Instruct people that you don't have to be a doormat to the devil. You don't have to allow the devil to come in and out of your life at his will. You are not a city that doesn't have a wall around it. Brother, you're a city of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in the temple that's inside of you. And there's a wall around you. Here's the problem in Nehemiah verse 8:10. It's either Nehemiah 8:10 or it's Nehemiah 10:8. But Nehemiah 8:10, I think, is where it's at. In the King James Version, it says that he that breaks the hedge is bit by the serpent. So if you want to stay safe, if you want to stay guarded, if you want to stay protected, then stay in the Word of the Lord. Stay within the walls of the city. Stay within the precepts of the Lord. It's when you get out, outside of those things, that you become a prey to the enemy. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Lord showed me one time that that is a stray sheep. Sometimes we go stray, don't we? Sometimes we go rogue, don't we? Anybody out here say amen? Amen. Sometimes we go rogue. But even when we go rogue and even when we break that hedge and even when we get out there, the Lord, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, even though I choose to get outside of the fold, Jesus is rod. He comes and fights the enemy off and he gets his staff and he pulls me in and he puts his sheep around his shoulder and he rejoices when he brings the one sheep home. I'm telling you, if you're a sheep that is lost today, if you're a sheep that is outside of that hedge and you've been bit by the serpent, there's hope for you today. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. He's disarmed the power of the enemy. The Bible says that he seed, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places in Ephesians chapter two verse six. I gotta calm down. I, brothers and sisters I try hard to be calm seriously. I really try hard because I don't want people to be like, holy smoke he's aggressive. I, I mean I just start, I feel this. It, it, it's so, maybe I got some Italian blood and I don't know it, okay? But I, I, I feel the passion. That When, when, when the word's spoken, it just quickens me. It makes me alive. It makes me bold. It makes me hungry. It makes me confident. And I want this church to walk confidently, I want this church to walk boldly. I want you to know who you are in Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Somebody say that. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says that he has given you power over the enemy. I want us to read this together. Look at Luke ten eighteen. I want us to read Luke 10, 18 through 20 together. It says, yes, yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven. Somebody say fall. Fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. All, somebody say all. All the power of the enemy. And you shall walk on snakes and scorpions and you shall crush them. Brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about snake handling. I'm not talking about a physical snake. I'm talking about a spiritual snake. A spiritual servant. You can walk on them. You can crush. Because the Bible says this in Romans. In Romans chapter 16. It says, and the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. Romans... Romans says it. Romans 16, 20. It says the God of peace will bruise or crush Satan underneath your feet. Brothers and sisters, he's given you the name of Jesus, which is above every name. The other day, my wife came up to me and she said, do you know what name means in the original meaning? I said, no. I never looked up name. Name means Authority. When you say name, a person's name, name means authority. When you say in Jesus' name, you are using Jesus' name, and name means authority. So brothers, when you say Jesus, when you say in Jesus' name, you're saying this, in Jesus' authority. I tell you, back off. I tell you to back off. He's given you because Jesus is exalted, the Holy Spirit's in us. Because Jesus broke the power, the Bible says the power of death and decay is gone. Romans 8 20 and 21. Against its will, all creation was subject unto God's curse. Notice it says, against God's will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward. That's us. We look forward to the day when it will join God's children in the glorious freedom when death and decay is no more. And the last enemy that will be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. If you've lost a loved one, that'll be destroyed. And there'll be nothing but life. And Christ's final victory Will happen when you guys got this in your cert? When what? When Satan's dreaded destiny, destiny, is concluded in the book of Revelations, chapter twenty, verse ten. Then the devil, who's deceived so many people over the years, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophets. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then in Revelations 21, you read about heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Lord, we worship you today. Lord, we worship you today. We praise you for surely you are the king. Lord, your heel was bruised and you took the plunge of death. But you rose on the third day. And the Bible says that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. That we live in a newness of life. That we're raised with Christ. Just as Christ was crucified and rose from the dead, our old life is crucified. And Lord, we can raise up today a new life. With every head bowed and eyes closed, who would say today I want to pledge allegiance, and I want to join the ranks, and I want to join the team, and I want to join the family. I want to join the family of God. I want the curse of Genesis chapter 15, the curse of sin, the curse of of separation from God, I want that to be broken today, and I want to be in right relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, I want to be in right relationship with God, I want to be born again, I, that's a Christian term we use. I want my life to start all over. I, wanna, I want Jesus to come into my life. I accept what you're preaching today. If you're here and you don't know if you're a Christian or if Jesus is in your heart, if you're here today and you don't know that, would you lift up your hand and let me see your hand? I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. Man, I see God convicting some people today. Who would raise your hand and say, I want to know Christ today. I'm away from the Lord. I want to know Christ today. Would you lift up your hand? I won't embarrass you. I'll pray with you right where you're at. Anybody want to lift their hand and say, that's me today. Pray for me, Pastor Brian. Pray with me today. Amen. I see two hands over there. I see a third hand. Anybody else? see four hands that are new to me. Four hands that are new to me. There's been some other hands that go up that maybe you need that assurance, but I see four hands that are new to me. Anybody else want to come to Christ today? Would the whole church, pray this with me. And you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this. I want you to say these words. Dear God, I come to you. I come to you today. I heard your message. I hear you knocking on the door of my heart. And you want to come into my life. I open the door of my heart. And I ask you to come in my life. Break sin. Break the power of the devil in my life. And I give allegiance to you today. Jesus, I call upon you to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sins, and I confess you as my Lord. And my Savior, right now, come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm positive four people came to the Lord today. We got four more people to baptize, Pastor Justin, on January 13th. Who's saying welcome? Everybody say welcome. 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 Amen. Who feels, we're going to ask our prayer team to come forward. Who feels that conflict? That harassment, that hostility. Who who feels a hostile takeover and a hostile advancement against you? And you say, I'm a Christian today. Who feels a hostile advancement of sickness? Who feels a hostile advancement that, that, that you're being attacked beyond measure today? Who feels that attack? I'm going to ask you today, before you leave today, whatever you need prayer for, whether it's healing, whether it's a financial situation, whether you just need the strength of the Lord, whether you just need some hope or some faith or some energy, or you feel dead or weak in your heart, don't leave today without being prayed for. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. How many enjoy praise? Praise is good. Praise is good. But his house is a house of prayer. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.